You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. So good. Well, so good to have you all here. Uh, welcome again on a Father's Day. Very busy day. Uh, I've already had some competition. Uh, nothing like a little bit of competition in church, which is so good. We've got ties wearing from our kids making our ties from last week. And, and here we are in the text of Scripture. Today, we're actually going to hit on marriage. And so kind of a fitting text in some ways for uh, Father's Day as a challenge to fathers to lead families and, and to be the head of the household in all kinds of different ways. But uh, I came up with this topic, uh, actually came up with all the topics that we're going to touch in on this topical summer, dropping the R, right, in the tropical summer, but topical summer, uh, because of going th- just through my reading plan of, of going through my devotions. And when I hit First Corinthians Chronicles 29 a couple weeks ago, it was just one of those texts of scripture as I was reading, I was like, man, I think we need, we as a church need to hear this. And, and same with Second Chronicles uh, 7 last week. And now here uh, we're going to hit on First Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to spend most of our time in there. Uh, marriage is actually from front to back cover, uh, we see in, in the scripture. So it's one of those things that we'll never touch the full uh, depth of it. We're going to continue to learn about it in so many different ways. But we need to come back over back over and over again to the idea of Christian marriage between one man and one woman uh, because it is really a triune relationship. It's one of those triune relationships. And what I mean by that is you have a husband filled with the glory of Jesus Christ through the, the guaranteed spirit that indwells them. And then you've got the wife with the same thing, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of their salvation, vertically Uh, loving on God the Father with everything of themselves, all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and also horizontally leaving out to complement their roles with one another to become one in relationship. And the Bible talks about this as a mystery. It's a mystery. Two becoming one. You see oneness. And that oneness is actually, as we'll get into our text, is actually incredibly uh, difficult and actually not to be separate. So today, continuing in a way from last two weeks, the big idea has been God is the ruler of all things and give, gives good gifts. We receive those gifts and joyfully give back to the Lord what is his. And we, as we humbly abide in him while doing so, he heals us and he heals the land in which we live all for his glory, all for his glory. So in a way, marriage is just a continuation of the last two weeks as it is a way we can practically give and abide in Jesus, give to another, and be filled with joy in all the Lord as we glorify his name in these relationships that we live in. So here are a few points of marriage, but we will spend most of our time, like I said, in 1 Corinthians 7. Here's the outline for this morning. Just simply, we're going to do some P's here, plan principles and purpose and then but before we get into this let's pray for peace all right let's go jesus i thank you for uh, your word i thank you that uh, already we've uh, come before you humbled ourselves before you in prayer 
Uh, we've done this multiple times at 9.15 and again at 10 as we humbly pray to you to guide us as fathers and as a church. And now, Lord, as we open up the scripture again, we want to come before you in humble posture and prayer that you will um, teach us what you have to say, that we will clearly see what it is says in the scripture and that we will transform, that you'll continue to transform us from one degree of holiness to the next, that we will surrender to your word and not our own, but surrender ultimately to you. And so help us in this uh, massive um, topic that is talked about throughout the word of God and help us glean what there is today uh, for your glory and for our good. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when you Google marriage, you get a plethora of information. I'm not sure if you've ever Googled marriage, but there's all kinds of stuff out there uh, that you can learn um, on, the, on the Google platform. But what, what can you really trust when you do this? What can you trust in this day and age of what you're going to get, especially when you have the word of God before you? And so I Googled marriage this week and, and as I was preparing for this, and man, there's all kinds of stuff out there. There's tricks and tips and advice, instruction, command. But it's interesting when you start thinking about this with, the, with all this information literally at our fingertips, you still have the divorce rate at 50% plus even within the church. And so why is this? Like, why, why can we not, why, why can we as a people send people to the moon, but yet not stay together for 50 years? And maybe to help with that, maybe it would be good to send your spouse to the moon. Maybe that will help the 50-year plan, right? To send your spouse to, man, this is easy. My spouse now is gone and it's, it's much easier this way. But in my Google search, I came across some, all kinds of different things, like I said, and I came across some cheesy jokes to get us started as, you know, like why, why not tell some cheesy jokes on Father's Day, you know, like some dad jokes. So get yourself prepared. Have you seen my girl? She works at the zoo. She's indeed a keeper. Terrible, right? Or I think you're a cat. Why? Well, I'm a feline, a connection between you and me. Yeah, groan, big groan on that one. Last one, because I can't continue with these. Babe, are you a dictionary? Because you add meaning to my life. Terrible. These are terrible jokes, right? They're horrible. And there's, there's probably about 50 of them on this page, and these were one. But this last one is interesting. And as you read through these articles and these tips and tricks about marriage that the world gives you, this last one actually touches on the reason why over 50% of marriages break down. See, the end goal of marriage in this joke is, is meaning in your life. It's for you. It, it, end, it terminates on you. And a couple, I think it was last week at TED, if you put anything on the end of that projection of like, what is my purpose in life? If you add anything there other than God, it will fail. It is not meant to carry the weight of your purpose and the what you put weight on that purpose of your of your life and and God is the only one that can withstand the weight of that pressure and and this joke is again telling us you are the one that gives me meaning you're literally crushing your wife at that point you're crushing your spouse 
they have no reason to do. And this is why marriages are failing, because the end goal of marriage is not a person in on this realm, horizontally, it's the person of Christ that is the only one that can withstand that pressure. So this is the big idea of marriage. Marriage is and always has been for God's glory. That's why marriage, it's for God's glory. It's for his kingdom's purposes. It's all about him and it's never changed and it never will be. John Piper, pastor and author and theologian says it right when he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You may have heard that tagline. He says it quite often. It's kind of on his, his uh, page in, his, in, in desiringgod.org, but you can see it everywhere. See, when our satisfaction in all things rests in God, this is when our life aligns with the Lord's will and we will be satisfied in our life and relationships because we are doing them for the glory of God, not for our self-kingdom, but actually for God's kingdom. This is the end goal. So when it comes down to it, Google has really nothing on what the Bible has given us. It's got nothing. We can go to here and learn everything about specifically about marriage. And that's what we're going to do this morning. See, Google has all these tricks and tips, but the Bible really clearly says some things on here. And if you look on the screen in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says this, His divine power has granted to us. So think about this. This is the sovereign, the, the supreme ruler of all things, the one that has always been and always will be, says, when his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And then the, through the knowledge of him, the supreme being, who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. He's given us all these things so that through them, through these precious and great promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. You may be connected to him. It sounds a lot like marriage. He is giving us everything for the sake of our good, for the glory of him. It, it, is, it is such a sweet text. All we need to do is go for here. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So let's go number one, the plan. So what is the plan of marriage? And, and many of you know this already. This is not going to be, this is going to be an overview for this, but it's one of those things that we know, but yet do we practice it? Do we practice it regularly in our day to day? So what is the plan of marriage? Well, God's plan is laid out for us in Genesis 2.24. Before sin entered into the world, God had already orchestrated the plan of marriage back in Genesis 2.24, where it says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. If you can see it in the text there, the plan of marriage is unity. It's unity, it's bonding, it's unity, it's oneness. And oneness looks like this, two people, you can see two there still, but on the angle, if I show you, now it's one. And that's exactly what marriage is. This is what we're reflecting, God in his triune state is actually one. This is oneness, this is what marriage ought to be. And as we read more of the scripture, we see this plan of unity is actually a lasting plan. There's nothing that should break it. 
and nothing that can break the unity that God, the Godhead has in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just like when he creates marriage, nothing ought to break it. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39, it says this, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Or we have Romans chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. It says, again, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. And this is, I know these are hard things. I've done probably 15 years of marriage counseling and, and I'd be more than happy to grab a coffee and talk more in depth of these things. We're going to do a broad brushstroke on marriage here and point back to this as a foundation. That's why I wanted to talk about this on this Sunday. But Jesus himself says the similar things as Paul in both 1 Corinthians and Romans. See, in Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 says something really interesting here. But before we read the, context, the, the scripture here, we need to understand the context. Now, the context is in the time of John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist challenged Herod, challenged him, because Herod was sleeping with Philip's wife, Herodias, in an adulterous relationship. And, and Jesus here is getting challenged by the Pharisees. He's being tested by the Pharisees. Are you going to go liberal or are you going to go conservative? And they knew if he got, went conservative, they would have the right now to go after him and kill him, just like Herod showed an example by beheading John, because John went conservative. Now, there was two thoughts in the time right now, again, in the context of this. The liberals were, you can divorce about anything. Your food's cold on the table, divorce her. Leave her, find someone else. Divorce any reason. The conservatives were going adultery only. And that was John the Baptist challenging Herod, the leader in that time. You're sleeping with your brother's wife, Herodias. Repent of your sin. And he was beheaded. And so now the Pharisees know exactly what's going on and they're trying to trap, entrap Jesus so that they can kill him as well. So this is the context of Matthew 19, 3 and 6. Now, Take a look at it. Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Liberal. He answered, have you not read? This is Jesus going back to Genesis 2.24. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. He goes back to Genesis 2.24. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore, this is, man, this is an important statement. Look at it. You may have read it really quickly or heard it at a wedding, but did you really hear it? What therefore God has joined together? Let not man separate. Let therefore God has joined together. See, divorce is a man-made thing. Marriage is a God thing. Right from the beginning, God in his sovereignty knows 
who is married in this room and who is not. He is the one that creates all things, leads all things. Nothing is a surprise to him. See, divorce is fractures what God has put together. It fractures all that God has put together. Then he goes on to say this in the few verses down in that Matthew 19 text. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Again, huge statement here from Jesus. But from the beginning, it was not so. And then Jesus sides with the conservatives, saying, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits idolatry. Again, the plan of marriage is unity. It's unity. It is a covenant that we are to go to the grave fulfilling. This is a big deal. And unfortunately, over a few thousand years, we have adjusted God's original plan down to cohabitation. Let's act like married people, but actually not fully commit to one another. Let's just test the waters out. You know, I've heard every excuse, I think, known to man in these kind of relationships. Or the most blasphemous statement that I hear is we are married in God's eyes. As if you can see through the eyes of God. In fact, in God's eyes, you are acting out of sexual immorality. And we know this because God has said it in His Word all through the New Testament. Matthew through Revelation, every single book talks of sexual immorality. See, R.C. Sproul, a pastor and theologian, he said this about cohabitation. For Christians, ever to cohabit outside the institution of marriage is a gross and heinous sin against God and is something that should be absolutely unheard of in the Christian community. Unheard of. See, it is important for us as a church and the people of God to come to this unity within marriage because this is one of, if not the biggest things, being attacked in the Christian church. The world is going after this one and it's seemingly winning the war. See, that's why a Google search will come up with a million ways to find fulfillment in your marriage for you. For you. About your kingdom. But that's not the plan of marriage or the purpose of it or any principle to it. Marriage is not for you. It's for the glory of God. So again, the plan for biblical marriage is that one man, one woman be united in marriage for life as they are one. So that's the plan. Let's head through the principles. I'll try and go a little bit quicker in this. But these are, there's seven principles in 1 Corinthians 7. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to walk through these seven principles really quickly and then head home and celebrate our Father some more with naps and nachos. Yeah, you've got to go with the ends, right? Naps and nachos. How good is that? All right, seven principles of marriage before I start thinking about nachos too much. Look at verse 1 and 3. It's on the screen. First principle. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Now, right away, you realize that Paul is answering a letter. Paul is responding to something that the Corinthian church has written him about. And, And in this first chapter of chapter 7, anyways is his response to many things. And he responds to sex, temptation, marriage, singleness, and widowhood. 
And it would be good for you to dive into this, to, to continue through from 7 all the way through the rest of 1 Corinthians to see how he is responding to this letter. But this is the beginning of it. And I'll let you do the continued search, but let's read this together. So now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. So the principle of marriage is giving. It's giving. And these are all principles that God has done for us. He, it is, he's a giving God and he's calling us to do the same. It, it, we are called to give to one another. We're to give to one another the very bodies we have been given to by God as a gift to our spouse. This is a gift. I remember it's like, Jody, this is yours. You're welcome. Right? Like joking around with this already. Because I was like, man, that was so fun to just be married and, and love on my wife and just have fun with her. But this is exactly what the text of Scripture is saying. This is a gift that you can give that God didn't, I didn't decide anything of this body. God gave it to me. And I'm called to now give it to my spouse freely. And her spouse is then called to treat that gift as their own. And the specific passage is referring to sex. But all throughout Scripture, we can add so much more. As a married couple, you are called to give all of yourself to one another freely, unashamedly, and with joy, knowing that you are giving what you have been gifted. Going back now, you can see in 1 Chronicles 29 and, and 2 Chronicles chapter 7, this is a, is a gift, it's a realization that everything that I have is from the Lord and who am I to hold it back? So we have giving. Secondly, we have authority in verses 4 and 5. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Like, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, then you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now the language here of authority is jurisdiction over. Jurisdiction over. So you are not to deprive one another of enjoying one another. This has nothing to do with ruling in an evil way, but with grace Love, joy, and peace. See, this is handing over your body to another that will care for it better than you will. Like I know women that have cut themselves for years. Self-harm for years. I know women that have battled anxiety and fear for years. I know women that have battled eating disorders for years. The husband is to come and now care for that body more than the woman has. This is the idea of marriage. To be the protector, to care for, to love on. The problem is that there are some men out there that take this passage and use it to further abuse their wives because they use this verse to lay claim on their wives to fulfill all their perverted sexual desires. So you have got a Bible verse, your body is mine, and now they're going to use it for their gain and their glory rather than caring for it and loving it. So they don't care for their bride, but abuse them and treat oneness more like mastery. See, the authority that you are given in marriage over one another is to be used with humility and love. 
to bring joy to the other, to have seasons of prayer with one another, and then to come back quickly because you long for the oneness and the unity and the love of another, just like God has created for. So we have giving, we have authority. Third, you have divorce is not an option. Verses 10 through 16. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Now, Paul says this a couple times. When he says, not I, but the Lord, he's, what he's saying is that Jesus has already said this. He's already said this. And then he's going to say a little bit later on in verse 12, I, not the Lord. So he's saying, I'm, I'm saying this. The Lord hasn't said this, but I'm filled by the Spirit of God, and I too have the Spirit of God moving this. And we see this in verse 40. But what he's saying is he's unpacking it further, something that Jesus may not have done in the written word. So it's still inspired word of God. So I just wanted to explain that as we run through it. So to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children should be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, there is much debate within church because people battle for what they want rather than for what God wants. And we want what God wants. So this topic of divorce is a heated one in some ways. The most heat comes because people desire their needs rather than submit to God's commands. Now again, in this text, Paul is is answering a letter. We need to understand the original hearers on this. Now Paul is answering a letter because they were going liberal. They were divorcing for any reason. And in this case, they're divorcing because maybe they came to Christ and they realized that there's now not really a, a huge oneness here. So it's like, Paul, I must be able to now divorce my wife. And so Paul is saying something different here. In this text, we actually see not divorce three times and should not separate once. So two different words here in the original. Separate is charizo, meaning to have space between you. To have space between you. This is for a season to get your heart. I want to slow down here. Get your heart right in prayer. To confess your sin. To evaluate how you have broken covenant. The problem is in most marriages that use this idea in the scripture to a season of separation this is not divorce season of separation is that they use that time of separation to point the finger at the other person this is how they've messed this up this is how they've broken covenant this is how they've done all these things and yet never going here using the time of prayer to humbly surrender to the king of kings and surrender to them to him and go what have i done wrong how have i broken this See, the call is to be reconciled, not to remain separate, as we see in the text. So in order for reconciliation to take place, there needs to be a leader that humbles. And that's where, men, you step in as fathers. You've been given a role of leader. 
It doesn't elevate you. It actually, moves, a leader is a humble servant. And so you are called to lead this as men. So if there's something wrong with you and your spouse, you humble yourself and lead well in that, looking in your, in your own heart and confess your sin. And that will lead your family to reconciliation. So this is you, men. This is me. See, the word for divorce here is ephime, meaning to let loose. The only reason given in this text is if the unbelieving spouse leaves. It's the only reason. In 40 verses, for divorce is the unbelieving spouse leaves. Now, there's much more conversation to be had regarding this, and we do see other allowances for divorce. We see one within the Scripture, adultery. And the third is death. It's a hard one to get past. Hard to reconcile after someone dies. But we are called to seek restoration because of the assumption that the two joined in oneness are equally yoked in Christ. God is the one that puts you together. Going back to Matthew 19. So in this case, Christ is not involved in both husband and wife. So the separation, the charizo, is more of a handing over to the Lord in the hopes they become saved through the grace of Jesus. And at that point, then we celebrate and return and be united in Him. Remember how I started. We have a devotion first and foremost vertically to the Lord. And then a devotion complementing one another in the rules towards one another. And then both of you then come back to the Lord. Now, if there's one that's separate, it's hard to do this. It's hard to do this. In church, I'm not hitting every scenario. Not even close. Marriage is a huge topic and it takes time to walk through the very intricate details of every marriage and the, the hurt sometimes that goes on in our marriages. But this is the foundation that we need to go back to. Look at number four. We're going to double back and hit 15 and 16 again. But oneness is found in a Christ-filled partner. It says this, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? See, why does Paul go here? We know salvation doesn't come from human hands, but Jesus and Jesus alone. So Paul goes here because spiritual oneness is so very important to a thriving marriage. It's incredibly important. Now, I can give all kinds of examples, and I'm sure all of us can. We've, we've known enough people that we can give examples of maybe even unbelievers having really good marriages, and then Christians having horrible marriages. And we can give sides in all kinds of different ways, and we can see that, and, and we see that in community. But just this is an idea that God has given us from the, from the get-go, the principles so I want to give you a couple examples to um, where this, this is where Paul is going, that it, why it doesn't work in this scenario. So one example, and then I'll move on, or two examples. We, we as a church experience oneness. And we experience oneness as a church corporately, as the body of Christ. And, and, and maybe some of you, I think, are starting to experience this more and more, but and you maybe in the past have done this too, but when you pray together, you create a oneness. 
And I know on Monday nights when we pray together and we get together and we pray corporately together and lift up praises and prayer requests and petitions to the Lord, you begin to look at those other people that are praying, that you're praying with regularly and consistently as family. You begin to become one in your requests and your prayers, and it's beautiful. And, and here at 915, the same thing is happening. There's, there's this connection. There's a community that is taking place. The same thing goes on in a community group. The more you involve yourself into the life of the church, the more you fall in love with one another. You cannot stop it. It's beautiful. The more you hang out with your family, the more you love them. And that's the same thing goes within the church. Another example is in what Paul is referring to here is that when you have an unbelieving spouse and a believing spouse, the believing spouse will have that intimacy with the Lord in prayer. But the other won't. So there's a, there, that will cause a, a division of sorts, a separation. There won't be that clear oneness there in that marriage. Or there's going to be a, I'm going to raise and I want to teach my children of Jesus Christ and, and I want to hold uh, Jesus as the authority of my family. But the other is like, I don't see that as part of my devotion because I don't believe in Him yet. So there's a division that that oneness originally meant for is leaving the father and mother and be united to one another under the authority of Christ is not there and that's why Paul is going in this direction. This is why Paul allows freedom for the believing spouse and the unbeliever wants out of the marriage. See, the eternal bond and the authority of Jesus in that marriage is not present. But hear me. Paul isn't saying to the believer to leave. He's saying to the believer, stay. He's saying to the believer, love your spouse. He's saying to the believer, care for them. Nurture them. Like, pray for them diligently. This is what Paul is saying. He don't leave them. Like, love on them more so. As you have been loved by God. It's a beautiful relationship. You, in actuality, should be the best spouse to your partner they will ever, ever have and ever see. And they should know it. And by God's grace, they receive Jesus because of your faithful example of Christ-likeness to them. You see, oneness is found in a Christ-filled partner. And we are called to be equally yoked in this with one another. But when you're not, as a believer, you are to dedicate your life as an example of Jesus to them. Number five is contentment. You can actually read 17 all the way down to 24. I've broken it up a little bit. Let me read just three or four, I guess, verses. It says this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And then skip down to 22. It's for, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Let me explain that for a second. So as a bondservant, you're a slave. You have a slave master and you're that bondservant to the master. And so God is, or Paul is saying through the Holy Spirit that if you become a Christian there, you're not instantly freed from that master relationship. You're still, you're still here earthly. So be the best bondservant to that master. Now live for Jesus. And vice versa, if you're the master in verse 
Likewise, he was free, the master, when called as a bondservant now of Christ. So in your position of mastery over maybe someone, and you come to the Lord, now you are actually in slavery to Christ. So no matter where you are, Paul is saying, Jesus is your Lord. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So the principle for marriage here is be who you are in Christ. Whatever position you are, and this sometimes is a hard one, whatever position you are, you are to be in Christ because Christ might be using your position in this very moment, in even this marriage, for the sake of Christ-likeness. It's a big, big deal to not leave your unbelieving spouse, but maybe be the best witness of Jesus that they'll ever see. See, Paul is saying, be content in Jesus and under His authority in wherever you are. So in marriage, if one of you becomes a Christian, remain. This will only benefit your marriage and any relationship actually you have. God might actually be using you, like I've said, as an instrument to bring and share Jesus to others around you. Now again, we don't have time to talk about the mental and emotional and physical abuse that might happen in a relationship. There needs to be much counsel over that. But we are called to suffer in different areas. But there is much counsel that needs to happen to hear these scenarios and to provide safety for one another. And it requires great wisdom. So if you're in that situation, please come talk to me. Number six is Jesus, 29 to 35. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as they though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. In the unmarried or betrothed, which is the original word is parthenos, meaning virgin. So that when you come across that word betrothed is just a virgin woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And that's why this point is called Jesus. Your undivided attention to the Lord. This is what we are called to give. Paul is giving us a very important principle here, maybe the most important, but give our entire self to the Lord. This is what Jesus has been saying from day one when it's like when he takes the Ten Commandments and gives us the greatest two. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor. This is what Paul is saying just in a different way. Give all of yourself to devotion to the Lord. And within a marriage contest, when both of you are doing that, you have a relationship with Jesus individually. You also have a horizontal relationship that you're given gifts to serve one another in and to be one with one another under the authority of serving the Lord together. And so when you both individually fall deeper in love with Jesus, it's only going to draw you closer. It's only going to draw you closer. 
because you're doing the same thing now. This is why in dating, if you're a Christian and you're single here, this is why you are called in this specific area of the text of scripture to devote yourself to the Lord because guess what? Those that are doing the same will be, you will obviously draw near to one another. So give your entire self to the Lord. Paul is doing the same here, like I said, just in a different way that Jesus already said, to love God with everything you have. And he says, Jesus is coming back. So let's devote ourselves to him with urgency. The beauty of marriage, like I said, when both of us are doing it, it just, it feels so sweet. It's so sweet. Last one, number seven, devotion. Verses 39 and 40, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This goes back to those statements that I said earlier. So your earthly spouse may die, but your groom lives forever. You get that? Your spouse, earthly spouse may die, but your groom always lives. He's eternal. See, upon death, there is freedom to be remarried. And I believe that the only part of Scripture that we see remarriage is this one. And the only area that we see freedom of remarriage is actually by death. But did you get those four little words in there? Right at the end of verse 39. Only in the Lord. See, upon salvation, we are now bondservants of Jesus. We have been bought with a price. We are to be devoted to what he has called us to. And friends, it is what makes most sense in this world that you would be equally yoked in Christ. See, devotion and surrender to Jesus makes most sense for life and godliness. Going back to that 2 Peter 1 passage. So seven principles, again, giving, authority, divorce is not an option. I think it's on the screen there. Oneness is found in a Christ-filled partner, contentment, Jesus, and devotion. Seven principles out of 1 Corinthians 7. Lastly, and I'll close quickly with this, but purpose of marriage. So we have the plan of marriage. We have the principles of marriage out of 1 Corinthians 7. What is the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose? Well, the purpose of marriage is actually no different from many of us, whether we're single or widowed. No different. The purpose of our life as a follower of Jesus is to make disciples of his. That's it, to glorify him, to praise him, to worship him. It's, it's to make disciples. And the same goes for within marriage. See, John Piper put it this way, marriage among Christians is mainly meant to tell the truth about the gospel. Because your oneness actually tells the truth about your God, the Godhead, God the Father, the Spirit, or the Son and the Spirit. And in that, as you marry and as you bond to one another, as you lift one another up continuously, always pointing each other back to Jesus, you are sharing in some way, in some form, the good news of Jesus and who he is, who his what his character is. And so marriage is among Christians is mainly meant to tell the truth about Jesus, tell the story of this world become one, to be fruitful and multiply, to live in unity and oneness, to image our creator in all we do spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically. And this is what we're called to as the church as well, to love each other with all we have, just like Christ loved us. So that's the purpose 
the plan, the principles, and the purpose. As we close, I've got a couple things for us as application points that I wanted to give us, especially as we're in the summertime. So maybe you're going on holidays. Maybe it's more, a little more infrequent that you'll meet as a community group. But I want to challenge you guys to walk through these things together if you're married or even if you're single, to walk through these things. What is your relationship with your groom, Jesus Christ? See, we're all in that relationship together. So are you living under the plan of God? See, these are the three Ps here. The plan of God. If so, may you be strengthened to do so. But if not, how do you plan to change and make Jesus the priority again moving forward? Or maybe for the first time ever. That you're beginning to see the love of Jesus for you in all things here in this world, especially marriage. We are just the ones that fracture it. Or for those singles here, if Jesus is your groom, are you living out these principles towards Christ? And the seven principles given by Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church, what are, there, what are the adjustments you need to make to align with these pr- biblical principles? Like these are not words that I'm making up. I'm, like you saw the text, I'm just reading the scripture and giving you the principles that are pa- unpacked in the in the passage. So what are we doing to live under those authorities, that, that the authority of the word? And how are we changing? Because we should be, right? Like we should be changing constantly, growing in knowledge, growing in wisdom, growing in our practical day-to-day life and practicing these things. So what are the adjustments that we need to make? And lastly, our purpose as image bearers of God is to bring Him glory. What in your marriage or in your singleness needs to change that your joy might be complete in Him and Him alone? What needs to change? What are some practical things that you can put aside this week for the sake of God's glory and God's kingdom? And evaluate those things. Like evaluate, like am I giving time to myself now or am I giving time to the Lord? And oftentimes you'll probably be the first thing. But how do you turn that into giving it time to the Lord and with a joy, like I get to celebrate and I get to celebrate Him today through this action? See, marriage is a big topic and there are all kinds of scenarios to break down when it comes to marriage, remarriage, and divorce, like I mentioned. But I'd remind you of the Second Peter 1 passage I opened with. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. See, the answers are here in the scripture. And we can help one another seek them out and find them. The big idea is oneness. Here as a church, to be one together that we might be an example to the world around us, that we be unified, loving on one another with the gifts that God has given us, likened to the, the marriage, to love and care for one another, to, to show that love and care to your children. If, you've got, if you have children or love and care towards one another, you might show that towards the people around you, your neighbors, your friends, or if you're single, to love those that you rub shoulders with and devote your time to to Jesus in those specific times instead of being wasted by the things of this world. So we are all called to oneness. We're all called to the same thing, whether widowed, single, or married. See, God in his covenant with us will never leave us nor forsake us. And he is calling us to the same with one another. So if you're a single, may you grow in your devotion to Jesus as your groom. And if you're married, may you compliment your spouse by living out your role 
giving horizontally and your love towards God vertically. May that be a charge for you this morning and for me as well. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that uh, you've given us this day to celebrate, to have some fun, to to give you praise and your glory. Um, I thank you for the gift of marriage that you've given us. Um, I thank you that uh, we as married people here have an opportunity to be an example to those around us, to our kids, especially first and foremost to our families and then to others around us. And for those that are single and widowed here, Lord, that they will, that you will give them the, the energy and the love and the passion for you, that that will be an encouragement to all of us of how they are devoting their life to you and to serve you first and foremost. Lord, in all this prayer, I just pray that we will be an encouragement to one another and that we will glorify you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Lord, that we will win many to Christ here in the city and around, and especially our families that don't know you, Jesus, and maybe have walked away for a season. So help us, Lord, be an example. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.